Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. Well, good morning, LifePoint. My name is Jonathan Holmes. I am the family pastor here. That means I oversee birth through college slash young adult, and it is a joy to be with you this morning to continue in our series called Stories for Real Christ Followers. This morning, we're going to be looking at the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. So if you would, open up your Bibles or turn your Bibles on to Matthew chapter 17, and we're going to start in verse 1 here in just a minute. Now, as I reflected on our series title, Stories for Real Christ Followers, I was reminded that the greatest stories tell us or teach us the greatest lessons. So maybe as you think about stories in your own life, how they played out, what lessons they taught you. As a child, you may have thought of a time when you really did something wrong. I mean, you took it to a whole new level and your parents reminded you that you're not to be at that level. And that is a lesson learned. But we all have stories where we have learned lessons from. And this is one reason why I just love to read biographies. I don't know what it is about it other than I get to see the highlights and the lowlights and learn from their mistakes so I don't have to make that mistake. A few of my favorites through the years have been the biography of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the biography of William Wilberforce. But right now I am reading one on the uh, American evangelist George Whitfield. George Whitfield was known by many names, but he was known to have one of the loudest voices ever, right? Now, I, I think that describes some people in my own life, but this, this guy did it right, right? When he was in the pulpit, he pretty much founded open air style preaching. So stand up outside and preach to crowds. Now, the legend grew through the years. And as people talked about the famous preacher, George Whitfield, they started throwing out some numbers. And the number that caught my attention was George Whitfield was known to preach to an open air crowd of 70,000 people. Now that might not astonish you, but it should. This is unbelievable, I would say, because this was before amplification of the voice. This is just a man speaking. So can you imagine a group, a crowd of 70,000 gathers and hears this man's voice? Now, I don't know if you're like me. I'm a bit of a pessimist at heart. I like to test things. You know, if you tell me something like, you know, you did something that weekend, I'm like, well, I need to see it to believe it, right? And so Benjamin Franklin had the same thought. He heard of the legend of George Whitfield's voice and he thought, 70,000 people, huh? And so when George Whitfield came to town, Benjamin Franklin put it to the test. And so he created an experiment where he walked in certain levels and he estimated that max his voice could be heard by an astonishing still 30,000 people. But this is one example where the legend of the person overshadows the person himself. You know these stories that as it's spread like the game of telephone, it grows and it grows and it grows. And then eventually we just think, well, I don't know that that is true. 
There's many legends throughout history that overshadow the person that they're trying to describe or to account for. Now, imagine with me, you are in the outskirts of Galilee in the first, early first century. And as you're just going about your daily business, you're just trying to work hard. As the kids would say, you're on the daily grind and here you are, people start talking about this man from Nazareth. And so as you're plowing your field or doing whatever you're doing, the neighbor says, hey, have you heard about this man from Nazareth? Nazareth? Is there anything good that comes from Nazareth? Like, yeah, this man is feeding thousands of people with just tiny bits of food. He is making the blind see. He is raising the dead. Okay, hold on a second, right? At this point, I would be going, no, 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 no. Sorry, you had me, no way. I, I would have to see it to believe it. And that's just what the disciples are gonna do this morning. They're going to come face to face with the true identity of who Jesus is. So look at your Bibles, Matthew 17, and we're gonna start in verse one. As a few of Jesus' disciples come face to face with the true Jesus. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter, and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when behold... A bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their face, faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. So here this morning, we see a few disciples come face to face with the true identity of who Jesus is. That they heard the legend, they saw the legend, they experienced the legend, but does the legend overshadow the person of Jesus? And this morning, there's a lot that we could learn from the transfiguration, but I invite you this morning to see the transfiguration of Jesus unveils his glory and invites his followers to worship. The transfiguration of Jesus unveils or reveals who Jesus is, his glory, his divinity, and invites his followers and us today, those who follow Jesus, 
to worship him. Now, verse one begins with, and after six days. So let's, let's go back a couple verses to understand what Jesus just said, because it's important that we connect with what Jesus just foretold with what we read this morning. So in Matthew 16, starting in verse 27, Jesus says, for the son of man is going to come with his angels and the glory of his father. And then he will repay each person according to what he has done. So judgment is coming. He will return. Verse 28, he says, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So if you read that, you might estimate, did Jesus know what he was talking about? Because you could assume that Jesus was meaning that his kingdom would be fully established in the lifetime of some of his disciples. And critics of Christianity say just that. A critic would look at that and say, see, Jesus didn't even know. Jesus didn't know what he was talking about. He thought his kingdom would be fully established in the lifetime of the disciples. So you can't trust what the Bible says. You see how they get there? But an unfortunate chapter break should not disconnect these two things. Because Jesus is not telling that the disciples would be living during his second coming. He is saying that some of those who are still here will get a taste, will see with their eyes the glory of the Son of Man coming from heaven. That he will see, they will see that there will be some standing. They will get a foretaste of what was to come in the fully established kingdom. Now, in all of this, we must ask, is this in all the gospels though? Is there a connection here? Because you kind of compare the accounts. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all place the foretelling of what Jesus says that there are some standing here that will see with what they see in his glory at the transfiguration. It was clear for the disciples. One, disciple, one commentator said this, it is not a mistake that Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell us about the transfiguration right after they tell us about this particular statement of the Lord Jesus. Just six days later that his foretelling is revealed and this would just be a taste of what was coming in his kingdom. Now my wife and I have an ongoing debate in our home. And at times it can get pretty intense. Just throw that out there. Whenever we're watching or whenever we're trying to find something to watch out of the endless options, I want to be wise in my decision-making. And so I think you'll side with me on our debate and it'll finally be over. (laughs) As I am looking, I would like to watch the trailer before we watch the movie. So to invest two hours is a lot. I would like them to compel me in the two minutes they have to want me to have that desire to watch the movie. So when we find something that is of interest, I'll click on the trailer and we'll start watching it. And I'll be like, yeah, this looks good. This looks good. And even just 30 seconds in, she comes for the remote and says, turn it off. They're ruining the best parts of the movie. I'm thinking, well, if they can't convince me in two minutes, They don't deserve two hours. 
See, I knew you'd side with me on all this. I just see it in your faces. You don't have to, you don't have to say anything to me or Amber this morning. I'll just, just take that as an agreement. See, in a trailer, we get just a taste and often it does show us the best parts of the movie. And here the disciples are getting a trailer for what will be the feature in heaven. They're getting just a glimpse, a sneak peek of what's to come and they can't even handle it. It's more incredible, it's more glorious than they ever would have thought. And as they try to describe it, Matthew recounts, says verse two, and his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. That's amazing. Well, how did this happen? He was transfigured. Now that word transfigured is an important word. That's where we get our word metamorphosis, right? Now we could talk about that for a minute, but here's where we're at. Transfiguration, he's not becoming something he was not. It is revealing who he really was at all times. See, the transfiguration of Jesus unveils his glory. Jesus was always fully God. There was never a time when he was not. There was never a time when he was not fully God. That is so important. Hold on to that. Jesus' glory and divinity was veiled in human flesh. And in this moment, the disciples get a taste of his full glory. In the transfiguration, it unveils his glory. And the text says that he was transformed, what? Before them. That implies that it was done for them. It was done showing them. Jesus knew who he was, but now he is showing his disciples who he was, who he is. Does this description of his face shining and his clothes becoming white remind you of any stories in the Bible? As you think about reading and you're like, and this sounds really similar. Maybe, maybe you're like, have I read this before? You know, it, I love when the Bible does that because it is one big story. I love when there's all these overlapping details and stories and, and, and things that are happening in scripture because the book, we can divide it up so much by chapters and verses and books. Listen, it's 66 books written by around 40 authors, but there is one divine originator. There's one divine author. We do not separate the old from the new. The old is the foundation of what the new establishes. See, Jesus did not come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. And then we see two people from the Old Testament have a conversation with Jesus. I mean, couldn't Jesus just standing there show his glory, unveil it before them and be like, let's go. This is awesome, right? Let's move on. This is, I'm ready to do whatever you ask, Jesus. I know who you are. But then Elijah and Moses show up. Verse three, and behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Why do these two men appear alongside the transfigured Jesus? And listen, this could be a whole sermon. So I'm going to cut it, right? And if you would like to study something this week, if you're like, man, that was, that was interesting. I would like to know more. Just look at how the two narratives of Moses in Mount Sinai and Jesus upon the mount in the transfiguration. It's unbelievable. But Moses was there 
Because in Exodus 34, we're reminded the story of Moses. When he goes up to the mountain, he sees God. Right? You remember this? And what happens? His face shines. He is utterly transformed. Right? There should be stirring some thoughts here. And he goes before the people, and the people are afraid of him. Because his face is shining like the sun. See, but Moses was reflecting the glory of God who he met on the mountain. Jesus is reflecting on his true glory. Jesus is revealing the glory that's already there. Moses was reflecting the glory of God. And it was still terrifying, but Jesus here, in the presence of Moses and Elijah, are revealing his glory, his majesty. See, Moses was the was the communicator for God. He delivered God's word to his people. Jesus is the word of God. And as John reflects on this moment and seeing Jesus face to face in his glory, he says this in John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Where did you see his glory? On this mount. Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. See, Moses delivered the word. Jesus is the word. So that's Moses. Moses reveals showing that as the word of God, Jesus has fulfilled all the law states. But then we have the prophet Elijah appears. Elijah appears with Jesus because he was the great prophet of God. He was the one to stand against the prophets of Baal. When all else seemed to to walk away from the Lord, he was faithful. And he stood against and he called upon the power of God. And Jesus helps his disciples see how Elijah fits in all of this. So in verse 9, so go with me just a little bit farther down after the moment of transfiguration, and as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, then why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come and he will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. So Jesus is laying it before the disciples. And he's saying, Elijah has come. See, the prophet Malachi prophesied that Elijah would come first to restore all things before the Messiah would arrive. So the disciples were asking, well, what about Elijah? Elijah hasn't come. And they say, he, he has come. And you go, what? We, we missed him? Right? And then they understand. It was John the Baptist, the forerunner of the Messiah. And here they're wrestling with the fact. They're struggling to understand how Jesus can foretell his death and resurrection in chapter 16 of Matthew, verses 21 through 23 and reveal his glory in, in chapter 17 on the mount. How can you say that you're going to suffer and die, but then you show us your true glory, Lord? They're still struggling to understand. But he's saying that it has been fulfilled through John the Baptist, the forerunner of the faith. See, Elijah called down the power of God. 
Jesus is the power of God. He is the power of God. Do you believe that this morning? A lot can be said about these two, and and trust me, it's worth your research. But here's the point. Jesus fulfilled all that was embodied in Moses and Elijah. The, The Jews were addicted to learning more about Moses, to thinking about, oh, the the deliverer of the law of God. And they were amazed by the legends of Elijah, and yet they missed the Messiah. May we not be the same. May we not be so consumed with understanding the Bible that we miss who the Bible is speaking of. Yes, we need to know who God is. Understand your word. We emphasize that. I encourage it. But it speaks of Jesus, who is the word, who is the power. Now, we can't even imagine this moment. So we're going back to when the disciples come face to face. Peter, James, and John, they see Jesus in beaming glory, as shining as bright as the sun. But if I had to just try to get a glimpse of what it might be like, it would be like when I'm on the lake and I have my sunglasses on, right? They're pretty fancy, so they, they let very little light come in. And then all of a sudden I realize, oh, well, I, need to, I need to see something. I need to be able to read something. So I flip the sunglasses up, not thinking anything about it because it's just dark. And then I get blasted in the face with the sun. And it is, I mean, it is painful, right? I have forgotten that I'm only seeing about 5% of the rays that are coming through. And I hit those up and it is, it is like the sun is scorching my eyeballs. And I'm just, I'm hiding, I'm covering, right? I'm, I'm rubbing my eyes. And in this moment, they come face to face and they're doing everything they can to hide in fear of who Jesus is. They can't believe it. Look at how the disciples respond first. What is, Peter always responds with his mouth first, right? Do you have that friend that states the obvious a lot of times? That's Peter, right? Lord, it is good that we are here. Right? It's like, yeah, right, James, stop it. Of course it is. Just watch, right? Good that we're here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Luke tells us that Peter uttered these words while Moses and Elijah were departing. So this is his moment of saying, no, 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 this can't end. Hang on, hang on. This is amazing. I need more of this. Do you ever have those moments where you just wish you could hit pause? You're like, oh, if I could live in this moment forever. Just, oh, I love it. Or you think about moments that have happened previously and you just didn't understand the true beauty and amazingness of that moment and you wish you could just go back and live in that moment again. That's what Peter's doing. Peter's saying, this is unbelievable. We gotta stay here. And this is also should remind us of the Feast of Tabernacles. There is a correlation here. So if you're in a Jewish context and they're talking about constructing little tents or or, uh, huts, that you should be thinking of what the Jews do for the Feast of Tabernacles as they would erect small structures to remember the times before the promised land. That when they wandered Israel, they they only had these small tents that they would erect. But now look at how much God has provided for them. It was a time of remembering and here, Peter's trying to remember. He wants to stay here. He wants to reflect 
See, Peter is speaking in this moment, trying to hit the pause button. But a more important voice interrupts him. And here's where we see our second point. See, the transfiguration of Jesus, it reveals, it unveils his glory, who he really is, but it invites the disciples and it invites us today to worship him for who he is, to worship him. As he was still speaking, verse five, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. And in this moment, we should be reminded of all the times when God the Father has revealed himself through a cloud. He reveals himself to the people of Israel and they are terrified. And he reveals himself in Mount Sinai in a cloud. He leads the people of Israel by a cloud. That this is common for us today to see that God the Father right here through a voice is speaking and identifying his son with whom he is well pleased. God the Father descends in a cloud and he's saying to them, see Jesus, he's he's not Moses. He's not just the lawgiver. He's not Elijah. He's not just a prophet. This is the king of kings. This is my son. So Peter recounts this moment, this exact moment in 2 Peter 1, verses 16 through 18. So as Peter is going about his ministry, he reflects on this exact moment, saying in verse 16, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. In verse 18, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on that holy mountain. Peter's reflecting on his mountaintop experience. He can't get over it. And when you come face to face with Jesus Christ, you simply can't get over it. It empowers, it fuels your faith. It empowers your worship. It strengthens who you are, because of who he is. And look at how the disciples respond. They fell on their faces and were terrified. When we truly understand who Jesus is, we also understand who we are. And that terrifies us. See, when we come face to face with the beauty and glory of Jesus, it doesn't stiffen our back. It doesn't think, look at how great I am. It bends the knee. Say, I can't be in this presence. I don't deserve this. This is, you're more glorious than I ever thought. And it is very common in scripture that we see when the glory of God is manifested before man, there is fear and trembling. There is humility. But look at how Jesus responds. Because I think a lot of times, especially in our culture, we We think of God being far away with his arms crossed and going, man, get it together. What are you afraid of? 
Are you serious? You're doing this again? Does that remind you of the voice in your head that you're calling God? I don't know what Bible you're reading, but it's not in there. Look at what Jesus does. What does he do? He comes to them. He touches them, showing the humanity of Christ. And he says, rise and have no fear. What? There, we do this too, right? When we become fearful, we think of all the times and when we read in scripture, have no fear. And we're like, I have plenty to be fearful of, Lord. The world is falling apart. My life is falling apart. Everything is broken. And his voice to us is have no fear. What? Why? Look at all this I should be afraid of. And then he comes in close and he says, just look at me. Just look at me. I'm here with you. And this is where we're going to stop this morning, right here in this moment. Because often I think in sermons, it's all about understanding. Let us be filled with the knowledge of God so that we can be smarter. What? Let us be filled with the knowledge of God so that we can worship God. And that is what the disciples do in this moment. They saw no one but Jesus only. Should you be scared? Yes. But look to Jesus. Should you doubt? Question? Look to Jesus. In suffering, do you think it's never going to end? Look to Jesus. Paul says the, the beauty of the transformation that the disciples experienced in this moment is available to us today. 2 Corinthians 3, 18 And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. That word transformed is the same word as transfigured. We're all being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. How does this happen? For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. It's the Spirit of God indwelling in you that can reveal the beauty and glory of Jesus. So if you come this morning and you think, I just, I feel distant from God. Or maybe you can't find the discipline to spend time with him. You don't have a desire to pray. You find excuses to not get in a community group or go to community group. You find all the reasons why you don't want to serve or you shouldn't serve. You think of all those things like, man, my heart's just not in it. You don't have a discipline issue. It's actually not about you. It's not about me. Your view of Jesus is just far too small. He is not a good teacher, though he is. He's not just a prophet, though he is. He's not just the priest that paid for our sins, though he is. He is God. And that is worthy of our worship. So as we begin to transition to our final song, can we, can we pause for a moment and check our hearts? God, where am I cold to you? And it's not a discipline issue. It is a beauty issue. You've become distracted with the things of the world. And you know how I know that? You're like, well, how do you know me? I know me. Our hearts 
are idol-making factories. We are constantly churning and creating new things to love more than God. Address it this morning. Get your heart right with the Lord and grow your view of who he is. Jesus is far more glorious than you ever thought. And in the transfiguration of Jesus, it unveils his glory. And it invites his followers, us today, to worship. Would you pray with me?